Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Billboard Charty Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. In New York, we're starting to get a little, little bit chilly. Uh, so a uh, lot coming up on the podcast this week. Main uh, part of it is uh, a member of the band with the biggest radio hit in the country. Eric, we're going to find out exactly how his last name is pronounced, but it's Eric of uh, Portugal, the man, guitarist, uh, talking about how a song with uh, retro 60s sound, Feel It Still, has become the biggest rock crossover hit in five years and uh, one of a handful of songs in the last uh, decade and a half to top six airplay charts. Uh, Really just a huge crossover hit. So we're going to get the inside story uh, from Eric of Portugal, the man about that. Also, uh, if you don't know his own backstory, uh, it's pretty inspirational. So we're going to talk to Eric uh, coming up here on the podcast, uh, last week's podcast. Trevor, you, you pretty much ran that one. It was our rap Rap roundtable. I mean, did did I run it or I, I feel like I, I was, was there. I was, I was there. a supporting player as well. Um, but yeah, we, we had three great guests on last week. Um, Loki from from Beats One, uh, Nile Ivy as he as he kind of went by as well. Mikey Fresh out here from Vibe and Marjua Estevez of Billboard Latin. So uh, three people up in here. We were talking about a, a lot of the topics we kind of touched on over the course of the year in different segments and, and with different guests. But just focusing on really the state of rap music. Um, what 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 it looks like going forward, and in particular how rap music and sort of pop radio are a little bit of an odds, and some reasons behind that, and what they can do going forward. So um, hopefully, if you, if you guys listened to it last week, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Got a few comments, I think, from some people who really enjoyed the format, really enjoyed the guests. If you haven't checked it out, luckily it is still on the internet, so just make sure you go and find that, and uh, let us know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I kind of sat back just because I'm not any kind of a rap expert. We had uh, three people uh, in you who are so knowledgeable about it. But uh, at one point, uh, listening back to it afterwards, I just I really agreed with uh, what Loki said about radio. Radio is kind of my my specialty uh, of how, uh, you know, I think sometimes we in the industry uh, or, or even in New York, people who, who uh, have a subway commute and are, are driving uh, kind of think that radio maybe isn't on the level that it was. And, and you know, we're more into playlists and Spotify and things like that. But uh, it's still so go-to for people who, who drive, who don't have time to, to fuss with playlists. Uh, so I just think that's that was a, a good perspective that, that he brought to that. Part of that also is... is um, he works for Beats One. Well, it's, well, it's, well, well, he does work for Beats One, right. but it's also kind of a youth bias because we always look at, you know, things... We right. always look from the perspective of, you know, kids and what's coming up and what's hot and what's on the apps and what's trending. And, I mean, and obviously while all that's important, you know, you can't have an industry without looking at the future. But, I mean, you forget that Yes, 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and older 
you know, they also like to enjoy music too. And we still I do. mean, radio yeah. is the way that they came up. So it, it's hard for them to abandon it. You know, who knows what's going to happen going forward. I could totally see uh, AM radio not being anything full mainstream some some years from now. Maybe that becomes more a brokered programming or a religious program or something much more niche than it is because the sound quality just isn't, uh, you know, for someone who grows up now with sound quality of, of whatever they want uh, on streaming services and, and elsewhere, uh, I, I can't expect a young person to listen to the to the hiss of AM. So I could see that going away at some point. Uh, kind of to that point, I also think uh, I'll be interested to see, and I think I think cars are going to play a key, key role in that because right. – um, kind of like you're saying, I mean, I, I think for people, you know, you're saying in the morning, you don't have time to be fussing with playlists and all this and all that. And for a different segment of the population, you know, playlists are, are automatic in a way people, right. people have their playlists for, for whatever mood or whatever moment. And I know, you know, nowadays there are obviously a lot more cars that are getting smarter and smarter. And like my parents have cars, you know, now where you turn it on and the Bluetooth syncs with your phone and your phone just starts playing. Right. So it's not even like you, so it's not even that you have to press any buttons to get to your phone or change it out. So I wonder if those kind of, you know, as, as I guess this generation grows up and gets cars and, and newer and better and more integrated cars like that. I mean, that could also be a thing that, you know, pushes it out the door a little faster. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately it's probably going to be like how uh, network TV uh, used to rule everything on TV. Now it's a, a piece of the pie. So I think that's probably where radio is going to be, uh, entertainment-wise. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I know I know somebody made the point last week. We kind of went back and forth a little bit about it, if, if radio would sort of be extinct. And, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of one of those things people are saying, well, it's, it'll be like the CD, or it'll be like the, uh, you know, an 8-track, or it'll be like, like a, a mixtape. Not not a mixtape, a cassette tape. And it's like, well, that's that's the form, you know, the form of song has changed. But the medium... Like, 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 in terms of a, of a whole distribution channel, right. is something we I don't think we've really ever seen kind of go away. So it'd be surprising if if radio were to just vanish. You know, I mean, just just like a giant ecosystem that would just go away. I mean, there's no way it it could just vanish. I don't think. But okay. 15, 20 years from now, in the podcast, we'll we'll come back to it. <laughs> well, the chart beat celebrates its thirty fifth anniversary with the with the yeah. All right, uh, flashing back. What are we flashing back to uh, later on? Um, this week we'll be flashing back to uh, not not one particular year. We'll, we'll kind of hop around um, certain songs in a performer's career, all of all of which um, were peaking on the Hot 100 this exact week. So it's a big week in this person's career. This date, mid November, seems to be pretty hot. Um, not gonna give the way. Not gonna give the name away just yet. Uh, but no, she was one of the, uh, the the strongest voices of the 1970s into the 1980s. And um, though she's no longer with us, there is a, a musical in her honor. So we will talk about her and her legacy coming up. And I mentioned it was getting chilly, so maybe that's that's sort of a, a reverse clue. That could, yeah, yeah, something, yeah, weather plays a part in it for sure. All right, let's uh, listen to this week's Top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Four, three, two, one. Number ten. Number 8 
number seven. My bitch love do cocaine. Ooh. I fuck a bitch, I forgot name. Yeah. I can't buy me no way to rain. Ooh. Rather go and buy bone. Number six. Number Number three. So don't get comfortable. Look, I don't dance now. I make money move. Say I don't gotta dance. I make money move. If I see you now, speak. That means number two. Number one. That that's my exit music for the top ten. Was that beatboxing? No, no, not even gonna insult anybody by saying that was my my wannabe beatboxing. Um. And while I cannot beatbox, I will at least tell you guys that what you just heard was the top 10. And for a fourth week in a row, you heard it. Post Malone and 21 Savage Rockstar holding strong at number one. Um, But if you've been paying attention to the countdown for a couple of weeks, and I think this is one thing personally that I kind of like, you know, it it had been a little stagnant in the top top tier for a little bit up there. Right. Um, But we're hearing. Right behind Post Malone, number two this week, Camila Cabello, uh, Havana, featuring Young Thug. So, song making a huge jump up. Was number seven last week, so a five-spot gain, first time in the top five. And, of course, it must be said, uh, something I'm sure all the, all the fans have been watching for since since Camila left Fifth Harmony last year was kind of, who's going to win? Who's going who's gonna to get the, the better settlement out of the divorce? Uh, so far, it seems like Camila uh, is, is, is doing great. Number two is the highest that she has ever been in her entire life on the Hot 100. That includes her time with Fifth Harmony. I'm sure Fifth Harmony fans will know that the group got to number four last year with Work From Home, the Ty Dolla Sign. Camila actually got to number four uh, in her solo career with her duet with Machine Gun Kelly, Bad Things, earlier this year. And now with Havana has taken number two and... You know, of course, the question really, I'm sure on plenty of people's minds, is going to be, can she be the first one to get that number one? Right. You know, it's sort of, it's interesting that uh, the two pop groups that feel like they've gotten the most social buzz the last few years are are, uh, the girl band and the boy band, uh, Fifth Harmony and One Direction. And now, uh, soloists for both of those acts have had bigger hits solo than with the group. So Fifth Harmony has gotten to number four. Camila's now had a number two hit. Uh, one Direction has peaked as high as number two, but Zayn got a number one hit. So as big as they were, and maybe still are overall in terms of pop culture as groups, uh, soloists have actually done better. Uh, yeah, we've actually seen that before historically. Um, if you go back to uh, one of your favorites, Trevor Bobby Brown and New Edition, he had a number one hit. They never did as a group. Uh, for me, 80s pop, uh, Belinda Carlisle, 
uh, after the Go-Go's. Uh, they've this split. They've gotten back together. But she had a number one with Heaven is Place on Earth. And the Go-Go's got to number two with We Got the Beat. So sometimes uh, it's a matter of the group sets up the success of the solo person. They kind For of sure. do all the heavy lifting so that when the solo person comes out, uh, everyone's kind of waiting. Ooh, what are they going to sound like now solo? And, and that there's just kind of that built-in anticipation. Uh, yeah, the music still has to be good, but plays into it. You know, it certainly does. Um, I, th- I think that that's an excellent point. I think we've seen a lot of times, you know, especially in this day and age where everything can be kind of teased up and, and geared out. And you know it's coming. Um, I mean, even going back to when Destiny's Child broke up and we were all kind of waiting for, especially especially the Beyonce record. Um, but th- that's why that makes this Camila case more interesting for me is that, you know, this is not Camila's first solo single. She'd been, um, I mean, just in her terms of her, her solo career, had come out last May with Crying in the Club and as her introduction to her new her new era. So uh, it gets to number two this week. It's up uh, 29% in overall activity. Uh, Rockstar is down uh, by 8%, so it, it really closes the gap. Uh, Post Malone still has a pretty good lead at number one. It's not uh, not one of the closer uh, races we've necessarily seen uh, in, in, in recent uh, weeks. Uh, and also uh, the video pushes it up, uh, the video premiere. This is the reaction to that. So you know, maybe next week we even see Havana fall back a little bit. Or the momentum is still building at radio. It, it's, uh, it seems like it's going to be uh, an established hit at this point going forward. So maybe it dips but stays still pretty high on the chart. And, and Bodak Yellow and, and Logic are, are down at three and four after their peaks. Uh, so maybe it's kind of kind of in a good spot right now timing-wise. Well, one of the interesting things, too, that will be f- kind of fun to watch is uh, two songs that are both building at radio. I think they're pretty close to each other on the radio songs chart, if I'm not mistaken. Rockstar and Havana. Rockstar and Havana. Right. Yeah. So it'll be kind of interesting to see, you know, who can. It, it seems like the winner can really come from who gets biggest on radio first, and so it'll be interesting to see who. Am I wrong? No. There's just that that other uh, not so minor matter of if Post Malone puts out a, an official video for Rockstar, that kind of changes the whole equation. That's true. Um, I mean, now we're recording. We're recording this on Tuesday, so this tracking week, the next week at least, is already more than halfway over. So um, I mean, the timing of that video will be obviously critical whenever it comes out but 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 you know i mean if 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 depending on how much momentum the video has i mean radio still there feels like there's more weeks to build for both of these songs so it'll be interesting to see if the fact that havana is more of a traditional pop song you know kind of helps it get to a higher spot on radio or you know is it i mean i guess this is one of the big almost like one of the big showdowns of of of, you know this whole year in general is post malone streaming going to be big enough to keep off what you would think would be Camila's bigger radio presence, right? So um, we'll we'll see. I guess who wins that duel? It's it's just like, like it like it's like the whole year has come down to this moment, you know. I mean, to be fair, Post Malone already has four weeks, so I guess that's kind of nice. <laughs> uh, so last week, before we got into all things rap, I, I made sure to mention and play Kenny G. The reason we brought that up is because uh, before Havana, there was one other song called Havana in the Hot 100s history. It was by Kenny G. It was instrumental in 1997. It dug a little bit deeper, and, and one of my favorite stats about this is that it debuted on the Hot 100 dated March 8th, 1997. Camila was born five days earlier. So I feel like there's been this whole connection between Camila and oh, – she was born in Havana. But uh, and, and maybe <laughs> maybe she heard the song as a child. It just snuck its way into her brain, just was dormant all these years. And, and in the studio one day, there, there it was, what? Havana. Well, I started thinking how uh, uh, the hook we played last week for Kenny G's Havana, if you sing the chorus to 
Camila Savannah over it, it could kind of work. Now, what people don't know is that Gary's going to sing the chorus of Havana over Kenny G. Savannah. What Trevor doesn't know is that that's never going to happen and that no one would ever want to hear that. But the, the, the first thing, uh, it could happen. The second thing, yes, no one would want to hear it. Yeah, sure. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, so when I was there in radio, I used to do some of these, these uh, I guess before people even called them mashups. I once made a, 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 a mix of uh, Leanne Rimes and Trisha Yearwood, both uh, singing How Do I Live. Gary, were you, the, were you the You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore guy, too? No, but I worked with the guy who did that. That's, 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 that's where Gary learned all his yeah, talents. Yeah, maybe it's it's in the blood. But uh, so I got a little creative uh, production-wise on my laptop. This is not anywhere near uh, uh, super perfect quality. But what would it sound like if there was a mashup between Kenny G, Camila Cabello's Havana? Should we give a listen? Gary Metro booming. Let's go. Go easy on me. I, my fans, you know, I want to feed them. Like I want to give them. Music. You're gonna hear. I feel like in all of my music, it's always gonna reflect. What I've, what I've been through. No, Gary was Timbaland in here, did you? Y'all, y'all ain't know um, Gary had that that L.A. Reid babyface touch to him, did you? Y'all didn't know Quincy Jones and Gary go way back to middle school. Amazing, amazing. I mean, we got a David Foster over here for real. The only thing I will say, I feel like the tempo should have been a little slower on the on the Kenny G song. I kind of tried playing with that and speeding her up, and I couldn't get it to sound. Better, also, I love how I love how like it, it sounds like it sounds like Quavo or like whoever is DJ Mustarding like the hey in the yeah, back. Yeah, wound up being the best part of it. I think. <laughs> I'm like, hey, it made like you made it too. You get the royalty check too. I, you know, if there's someone out there who who is way much better than this, I you know, the idea out there could be a thing. I feel like I feel like there's got to be somebody who hears this podcast who who can play with some of the uh, Sonic you know virtual DJ kind of equipment or whatnot right. or Ableton if you got the the, the big money. Uh, yeah, send us, send us your best Havana mashup. That's like a demo. It's a demo. That's all it is. That, exactly. Mashup demo. Gary gets Gary gets the the royalty check still, you know. All right, but somebody, you can get the artist credit. Somebody make it sound good. Uh, so the other thing that happened uh, this week uh, regarding the song. So uh, one of the stats we put out there is that uh, Havana is the highest charting song on the Hot 100, number two this week, uh, with a uh, with the name of a city in its title since 2006, London Bridge by Fergie. So Billboard tweeted this, and and of all people, John Mayer tweeted back at Billboard saying, "What did he say exactly?" He said, "This is a riveting stat." I feel like I heard it in my head the way you just said it. I mean, I'm sure. You, I, I well, it feels like John Mayer said it as like, "This is a riveting stat." Like, just 
wow, Billboard, this is high. You know, the, this is A plus journalism right here. Like, woo, yeah, buddy, you're not helping here. You're 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 confirming my my suspicions that there's a lot of snark. I mean, I you know, I, I don't know John Mayer personally. I mean, it'd be how great if it was like since he had like, wow, like you you guys, this is you know, this is great. This is this is riveting. This is riveting stuff. I feel like because there was no punctuation in particular, you got to read it. It's just, and you know, it's John Mayer. You know, John Mayer. He's, he he's not. He didn't mean it in like a malicious way, but I'm sure he meant it. It's kind of like a, the way we all kind of use Twitter. You know, it's just to be, just to be jerks. Well, you know what? It, in, just in case he felt left out, that's the way I'm going to interpret it. <laughs> Give a listen to this song. Cause piece of why georgia by john mayer in case he wants a stat uh, like we we're just mentioning of his own it's the only top 10 on our adult pop songs chart ever to mention georgia in his title huh all right he's oh, okay. he's, he's paying attention to the charts oh, that's, a, that's a good thing dear dear john i look for the record i love john mayer great guitarist especially live beautiful he, he's good he's the man is talented and gravity mm, 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 gravity such a good song so one of the other uh, big moves in the top 10 this week into the top 10, uh, 14 to 7 for Lil Pump and Gucci Gang. And they we're talking about our, our rap uh, roundtable last week. A lot of the newcomers in rap, we were saying, uh, kind of have a down-tempo uh, sound. This song's kind of different. This is much more up-tempo. Yeah, it does have more, uh, a little more hype to it, a little, a little more hype in the background. Um, and I think part of that, it gets away with that in a good way because it's so short that it can, you know, you can kind of compact a lot of energy into just this little two-minute kind of out-of-nowhere tune. And, I mean, with with a title like Gucci Gang, I mean, you know, I mean, Gucci, designer brand, you know, there's always, like, there's always been that that connection with hip-hop that you got to flex, flaunt, you know, hype it up, especially on a song like that. So good to see him going through. And, you know, again, it's one of those things that we mentioned last week as well. I hate to keep going back to last week, but I'm telling you, if you missed it, check it out. But it feels like... I mean, not not to insult any of these any of these these new guys that are coming out, but it really feels like there's like a flavor of the month. Like everywhere you turn, it's like and and I mean to almost be like Oprah, you know. And you have a top ten, and you have a top ten, and you have and everybody. It's like it's. I mean, just just the new breakout crew of this is right. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, great to see because I think it's something that 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 has been there uh, underneath for a while, and now you know just now the 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 climate and the culture is right. For them to to make it, but I mean, this guy, especially he's seventeen, born in two thousand, so right. already the next decade, you know, of, of people are starting to come through, and so it's just like, whoa, this is this is something to see for sure. Uh, the other song uh, debuting just outside of the top ten is uh, "Motorsport" by Migos, Nicki Minaj, and Cardi B. Top ten uh, debut in streaming obviously puts uh, Nicki Minaj and Car- Cardi B uh, together uh, on a song. The uh, the longtime uh, queen of rap with uh, newcomer Cardi B. So, so there's all that. But w- one of the, the more interesting things to me is uh, the people who are name checked in the song. 
There's a whole ton of people. One of them, the one that hit me, Boston sports fan, Bill Belichick, gets mentioned in the lyrics to this song. Bill Belichick has a hit on the Hot 100. Mm, is that what that means? I mean, in that case, you know, who, um, who? I mean, Shakespeare's got one. Orville Redenbacher's got one. Marilyn Monroe's got one. Anna Nicole Smith has got one. Any other NFL current coaches you can name? Any current NFL? Um, the show is that the Patriots, they can just win at everything. But how? I'm sure you know. That's I'm sure. I'm sure Sean Payton's got to be. It's, Lil Wayne, don't let me down. You go listen. He, you know, Lil Wayne is all New Orleans. Uh, got to be up there. Britney Spears is also uh, mentioned. Jackie Chan. Oh, uh, so Britney Spears has a Hot 100 hit now too. Oh my God, well, Britney! Had, yeah, well, she she hasn't won a Super Bowl. She hasn't won five Super Bowls. Uh, Jackie Chan, uh, Ricky and Lucy are mentioned. Just a whole bunch of random uh, people uh, mentioned in the song. But Bill Belichick, that's the one that I'm. I'm uh, that you're holding on I'm, to. I'm, I'm shouting out. All right, so uh, that's this week's uh, Hot 100. Also uh, back at number six, we heard Feel It Still by Portugal the Man. So uh, Eric of Portugal the Man, the guitarist, uh, we wanted to find out how this band uh, feels about having this, uh, to quote the lyrics, out of left field, kind of a hit, where uh, they've had uh, alternative success before, but uh, people in the mainstream kind of didn't know who this band was until just a few months ago when the song really started blowing up. Now it's become a number one pop hit. Uh, it's been number one on six different airplay charts, and as we said, that's uh, incredibly rare. Uh, Twelve songs have done that in the last decade and a half. So this is really one of the biggest crossover hits uh, in, 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 in the 2000s. So we want to get the whole deal from uh, Portugal the Man, what they think about that. So Eric is our uh, industry insider guest this week. And again, we're going to get to uh, Eric's personal story as well, which is pretty unique uh, for a rock star. And uh, the way he handles it is, uh, is pretty inspiring. So Eric from Portugal the Man is our guest on the Billboard Jappy Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Eric, all right, so we think it's it's either Hawk or Hawk because uh, it's spelled H-O-W-K. Uh, you, you tell us, Eric, you're here. You tell us. 
it's it's the name of pop star, isn't it? It's Hawk, like uh, H A W K, but it's spelled H O W K because uh, I don't I don't really know why. I think my great grandfather had a weird sense of humor. Um, but yeah, it's it's very Swedish and it's very phonetically inaccurate. It's not a it's not an Alaskan pronunciation. It has nothing to do with that. It it might be. It might have been uh, bastardized along the way over the over the course of a couple of generations. But I'm pretty sure it's a it's just a, a Swedish mix up. All right, we've we've given you some work to do apparently after the podcast. A little genealogy yeah. work. Change the spelling of your name. Step one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Eric, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. Uh, I mean, really, how crazy is everything right now with? With feel it still. I know you've been in the band for you know a couple of years. You weren't you, you weren't uh, there at the start in two thousand four when the band started. Although you you grew up with, with a couple of the guys, but does it just feel like uh, are you doing interviews nonstop? Does it kind of feel like every day is just just a little little more hectic uh, than, it's, than it's ever been? It, the perspective is pretty hard to come by. Um, yeah, I've, I've been in the orbit of the band for for a few years. I definitely picked a pretty cool time to step in as a full time member. Um, I would love to, you know, kind of take credit and be like, yeah, it's like Fleetwood Max cranking out record after record, and then all of a sudden they bring in Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, and bam, number one. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been watching these guys, you know, bust their ass off for twelve years before I stepped in, and uh, it's uh, it's hectic. It's basically, you know, the the job. The job hasn't changed that much from when I joined before Woodstock, before Feel It Still. Um, you know, it's still play the show and drive overnight and do a few interviews and set up in the next town and play a show and drive overnight and do a few interviews. And, you know, it's, it's still the same thing, except the interviews are more pleasant. They want you to be there and the shows are getting bigger, but it's not like a, it's not like a sudden, like, oh my God moment. You kind of need things to give you perspective, like old babysitters or like, you know, old relatives hunting you down and being like, I heard you in Costco or in Walmart, you know, you're like, that's really weird. Um, you know, having, having, you know, family friends point out, you know, that you're getting played at sporting events and stuff. That's uh, that's pretty random. Right. It's pretty crazy. Are you hearing the song on the radio? Is that a weird, is that, you know, artists always say it's, it's kind of a surreal moment when they hear their songs on the radio. Hearing the song on pop radio is is real weird. I mean, that's that's the thing is uh, you know it's 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 all that context. Like if if I hear us in between Spoon and like I don't know Kings of Leon or something, I'm like, cool, good alternative radio block. But it's when you're in between Chance the Rapper and Ariana Grande or like you know Jay Z and Demi Lovato. It's like <laughs> those are the weird ones. And those those happen when like when you're in the Uber and you'll hear yourself on the alternative station, and uh, you know then the driver will sort of fish around and look for a different station, and he'll find the hip hop thing, and then there you are again. That's the really weird thing. <laughs> it's we have no business being there. We don't belong in that world. It's crazy. <laughs> and so obviously, you know, the song grows and, and crosses over into pop. Uh, we're seeing it rise up the Hot 100. And uh, are you guys keeping track of that week to week? We know it seems like you guys are. I know when it hit number one on the pop songs chart, um, some people in the office got some cakes from from some management. So <laughs> so how active are you guys in watching this every week? I, for the record, I didn't get a cake, I, but you know it's okay. I didn't I didn't get a cake, man. I'm just like, I'm, I'm home. I'm on a, I'm on the first break that we've had in two months. Um, I think the 
the cool guy answer would be like, no, we don't, we don't pay attention to that stuff. You know, <laughs> we're just happy that the song's doing well and we'll get to keep playing shows. But of course we're watching that. Um, just because it's, it's so ridiculous. Like again, watching it go up the alternative charts, like that's, that's a world that, you know, we feel like we've been invited to in the past. And, you know, like that, that, that's, that's still really cool. It's, it's unprecedented. We never had a number one at alternative or any of these before, but that's not as insane as moving over to those pop charts. Um, you know, three of the five of us are 36 years old and from a small town in Alaska. That's not really like the blueprint for a pop star. And we're watching, we're watching our name, you know, climb above Justin Bieber and go above Taylor Swift. And we just had an epic one-on-one battle with Demi Lovato for the number one spot on the mainstream top 40. Um, that's weird, man. We like, we're we're goofy kind of like metal and punk kids from a small town in Alaska. Um, it's it's bizarre. So I mean, just as like a spectator from within the organization, I'm totally watching this stuff. Like I watch it change, you know, by the day, and I get the text from the managers, and yeah, I, I'm 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 running low on superlatives, but it's uh, it's really fun to watch. When you guys wrote the song, you, 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 can, you can brag, you can, you can be humble, you can be honest. But did you think it this might be our breakthrough pop hit? Did it sound did it sound like wow, this is really different, catchier, more uh, potentially commercial than anything uh, we've put out before? And did it hit you guys that you know that this might be the one? Yeah, we we called it the worldwide smash hit before we released it. We kind of did the, the Babe Ruth thing of pointing out into the stands before you go and swing from. Um, but that was. You know, that was that was hoping that it would kill it on alternative and kill it on, you know, the, the radio formats that we're used to operating in. Pop wasn't in the conversation at all. That was that was never a, you know, even entertained. We're on Atlantic and the, the pop team works Bruno Mars and Ed Sheeran. You know, that's and, and that they have the clean offices. And we're not invited into those. Like we're not welcome in there. We're too we're too dirty and weird and unpredictable to be invited into those places, but they took a chance on us this time. Um, so, you know, here we are. It's, uh, it's crazy. I, again, like to answer your question, we, we, we thought and we hoped that it would do really well in the areas that we're accustomed to, like AAA radio and the alternatives and like hopefully cropping over into some rock. But I mean, pop is just, it's a, it's a whole different world. I've, I've done interviews on this run where I've tried to come up with comparisons. And, uh, you know, for a while I was using Nirvana as someone that crossed over into the mainstream. And it's like Smells Like Teen Spirit as an example of going up into the charts and, like, you know, making the mainstream weird. To, to get that perspective of, you know, that song was everywhere when I was, you know, at a very formative time, like starting my own bands and learning how to play music that that's just the biggest song in the world to me and uh, to think of it not doing what feel it's still doing now like I, I can't wrap my head around that yeah we did the research and it's last uh last 14 years there have been two songs that have topped six different airplay charts because this song has been number one at, at rock at alternative at pop at dance at adult uh, top top 40 and, at this point and the only other song to have done that well, i think i might also, know yeah. All right. Let, let's see. I might, I might, I, someone that I used to know. 
Go Who's to that you. one? There are 12 songs that have been number one on at least uh, six different charts, but only two of them came from Alternative. We're number one in Alternative. So it's a Gautier's, somebody that I used to know, and Feel It Still. So you're talking two songs in the last decade and a half that have had the crossover okay. success from Alternative, and you guys have one of them. That's, I mean, how do you wrap your head around that? I, I, we're, we're all sort of like kind of, you know, swapping these texts back and forth, and we see articles, and we see charts, and we share it amongst ourselves, and, you know, there's always, you, you just run out of emojis after a certain point on the text chain. We're definitely at a point, too, like, nobody really knows who the band is. We, in, in addition to all these other number ones, we're number one at Shazam, which isn't necessarily a, a indicator of success. That that basically means that people hear the song, they know the song, they have no idea who the hell you are. Right. And we stayed there for a long time. I mean, but they're interested that, at least enough to know to, to figure it out. You know, let me let me figure out what I'm listening to at least. I mean, I think that's a really cool that's a really cool set, but it definitely shows that you know we're we're outsiders, and um, you know, even if we don't belong here, we're there. You talk about people shazamming the song or, or the band, and you know I've, I've read some people saying the song has become a hit partly because of its political nature, and I, I'm just kind of wondering how much of it really is that because I kind of had to Google the lyrics myself. I, I'm just wondering: do people just hear the beat? Do they hear the hook? Or what are fans telling you about why they like the song? I think it stands out. Like it's it's got it's got like a weird '60s sort of spy movie thing. Right. It's not. It's not like a beat forward sort of singer singing at the at the top of the ability kind of thing. It's, it's just smooth, and I think I think it sort of stands out. As far as the political thing, yeah, you gotta you gotta kind of dig for it. You gotta hear that song at least three or four times before you start thinking that there's something about you know political dissent or uh, you know dissatisfaction there. I think on the surface, it's kind of one of those. Uh, it's sort of one of those like fight for your right to party kind of thing. Rebel just for kicks is totally it's 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 totally an analog with fight for your right to party. It's like get passionate and riled up about you know necessarily anything in particular. It's like the George Carlin thing of uh, you know someone pointing out all the hypocrisies within the system, but at the same time he's not going to vote. Like it's it's sort of that same similar message, and I think that's something that if you're just hearing it on the radio or hearing the hook, you, you got it. You got to hear it a few times before you're digging that deep into it. I think it's kind of a case of both, where uh, the song fits on pop radio because it has, it has that big pop hook, and pop radio likes every once in a while when there's an alternative song that that is so catchy that fits for pop, they'll take one. So I think you know this is this is that song that's so perfect for pop radio. It still stands out, but. It's got those elements of, of, of a pop of a pop hit. Well, I'll I'll take that, and I think the beat and the tempo and the, like in the melody, uh, it's it's that you know, Trails uh, uh, please, Mister Postman. It's a it's a proven hook. It's a proven melody. But again, with pop radio, you've got pop stars, and you've got people singing like a pop star, which is you know, in my head, that's sort of the Christina Aguilera and Adele sort of thing of like belting. And at no point does John belt in this song. It's just kind of smooth. And it's the same thing with the dynamics of the beat and that, that plunky bass. Like, everything's just, like, level and pretty smooth. It's not, like, 70s 
starting from a whisper like hello and building up to this giant crescendo. Right. Um, so I think, I think programmers like it because it can fit between two songs like that as sort of a bridge, you know, like it's short enough. Um, and I think, you know, because the dynamics start out pretty high and stay pretty high, you can, you can mix it in with hip hop and stuff like that. I mean, these are all speculative answers. I really don't know why or how it's so well at pop, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to sort of think along out loud with you guys and try and figure it out. You, uh, you mentioned the, the hook um, coming from Please Mr. Postman, same same melody there. Uh, Motown fan of myself, how, how did that hook exactly come into play? And it seems kind of interesting that this, this old Motown classic, which I don't think many people, I mean, I guess a good number of people know the song, but it's obviously not like one of the, the, the major top hits of the Motown catalog. How did this come, come to be for you guys? People should know that song. I mean, the Marlette version is great. I've got, I've got with the Beatles in my car stereo, and I don't I don't think I've taken it out in two years. You know, um, it's it's such a good melody, and I know um, John, our singer, growing up, like that was one of his favorite songs to sing along with the family on a on like family trips, going in to get groceries in town. Um, I think it's just it's one of those melodies. It's 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 just it's fun it's sort of almost like a bird call in a way you know um in in terms of like john's voice and my voice and everyone that has to sing backups in it it's right at the top of the register so singing it multiple times a day or going on radio stations and doing acoustic performances of it in the morning after you know a late night of playing a rock show and going out to the bars is really really hard (laughs) but um but at, at the same time, it, it sort of keeps it fresh. And um, like I think with the with the you know interpolation stuff, like obviously we gave we gave the writers of Please Mr. Postman a percentage of the song that they felt was fair. But it's a uh, it's it's one of those things where the legal team's like you know if you change two notes you can you can have it, or if you change this or change that, you know we've got like the musicologists on the phone they're explaining like things that we could change and i mean the melody was a placeholder while the song was being written and we tried other stuff and nope it's not working like that melody is that melody is so good that like you know obviously we're gonna pay for it and give credit where credit is due and the hope there is that you know maybe someone finds out that that's a interpolation or you know read the comment on the youtube page like this reminds me of please mr postman and then they look that up and they find a whole world of music that they didn't know about like i think that's a that's a cool way of keeping it keeping it going forward it was the chorus written first uh, eric how did the song actually what, what do you remember about uh literally uh, being born the bass line came first and that was john uh, our lead singer taking a lead singer break um, just kind of wandering out of the studio while we're in the middle of working on something and finding a side room. And um, basically was just hanging out with our friend Asa, who's the singer of Electric Guest, Asa DeCountain. And he's just a funny guy. Um, he wrote and produced Dick in a Box for The Lonely Island. He's just kind of this goofy, like theater kid who's got a great sense of humor. 
And they're talking, and John picks up like an old 60s Hoffner bass and starts playing that little thumpy bass line. And Asa got really excited about it and recorded it. And, uh, you know, he was like, what do you got for words? And the Rebel Just for Kicks thing had been sitting in in the band's pocket, specifically in John's pocket, for years. And they had tried it in different things, and it didn't work. Um, so it was just kind of a, a serendipitous combination of the tempo being right, the feel on that bass line that he's just kind of mindlessly playing being right, and that placeholder melody just fitting right in. So honestly, the whole thing came together in less than an hour. I, I feel like I sort of know the answer to this question, but I was wondering now that uh, you guys have had this first big pop hit, are you are you not hungry for more pop hits? Does this change your approach? It kind of sounds like you guys are just sort of in some way just sort of chuckling at the fact that we have a big hit, we do what we do, and if other people uh, want to make this as big as it is, then that's that's on them. Oh, man, you just, you just stole my answer. I mean, I'm literally, I'm smiling right now just kind of thinking about that. It's It's totally, like... We're sort of we're sort of grinning like you know the character in a Tarantino film that got away with it. Um, we're going to keep doing what we do, but we we all think this is uh, awfully silly that uh, you know we're we're just tearing up the pop charts with this one. And there's there's no expectation. Um, you know we 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 always try and write the best songs that we can, and you know there's some thought to what you put out as a single, and I think that. Our next single that we're putting out is a song called Live in the Moment. I think it could do very well in this world, but nobody, again, nobody's expecting it to. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I do think the game's changing a little bit. I think, you know, it's it's no surprise that suddenly it's not just one band that's, you know, you know doing the Billboard hot, you know, hot thing um, in the top ten. It's you know, us and Imagine Dragons is in there. And I think genres are kind of being blurred a little bit. Um, I also like I'm I'm not fooling myself into thinking that Feel It Still is a rock song or like a hard rock song in the traditional sense. In the same way that I don't think Believer by Imagine Dragons is a traditional rock song, and I don't think Hot Pots by Spoon is a traditional rock song. You know, and I think that's because rock, specifically like that brand of alternative rock, just kind of lost its way. Like alternative got its name because it was too weird to fit in with anything else, so they gave it its own thing. But some was, you know, years of labels wanting to go with a surefire thing, and alternative getting its own branch at majors and it, it becoming its own, you know, massive radio thing. You got, you know, sort of two guitar, bass and drum, all American singer, all American frontman, songs about girls. It, it got into a corner and then rock kind of did this interesting thing where rock and pop i don't know like there's the, the lines are getting really blurred it's happening in a really cool way right it kind of happened with uh, 21 pilots last year where we we're saying a uh, rock hits yeah. over and sort of is that rock I, I i agree i think it's the same thing with you guys and and imagine dragons we we just published a story uh today as we're taping this on how uh, guitar sales are, are way down kids aren't aren't buying guitars like they used to. Do you think it's yeah. people growing up with, with a, a generation where hip-hop has been more dominant? I mean, at some point, you figure there'll be some song that's really crunchy, and, and, re, and we've seen some of the pop-punk, you know, Follow Up Boy, that kind of stuff, be hits in recent years, but it, it's been a while now. I think that stuff can change so quick. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's at least 
at least there used to be a wiki page about this, but there's definitely some scholastic articles about the Baker Street effect. It's when Jerry Rafferty's uh, song off of Baker Street came out, yeah. that enormous saxophone hook. Right. Sales of saxophones quadrupled that year. Hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's because it was a fresh thing that no one had heard in a while, like this rock song with this soaring, you know, jazzmanic uh, saxophone hook. Um, I think, you know, rock got a little boring. We're, but again, we're still, we're still a rock band live. And when we play these songs live, Felix Bill's got a really buried guitar in there, but when we play it live, it, it takes on more of like a Dick Dale or sort of a surf rock thing, and those guitars are clanging along. Um, and, you know, there's there's songs with huge guitar hooks on the record, like uh, like Rich Friends is all built around that guitar riff, and there's a huge solo on So Young on our record. I think you find your moments to stick them in there and, and you run with it. But I think just like the power chord thing or like, you know, the big ringing open chords, like a Gin Blossom style band, like that's going to take a while to come back around. Nobody's, nobody's clamoring for that sound to come back. You just mentioned the Gin um, Blossoms. Yeah, I did. I love, and I, love, like, I love the Gin Blossoms. Yeah, I'm clamoring for that sound to come back. Oh God. Till I hear it from you is, oh, that is, it's a heartbreaker. It's a huge vocal hook and those guitars sound perfect. But, uh, you know, I just don't think that that sound has any place on alternative radio right now. It's like, it's, you've heard it before and you've heard it a lot before. And again, like, I think if you said, if you took feel it still in a time machine back to the early eighties, like back to, back to a fan of the scorpions and you're like, this is the number one rock song in the country right now. They would be so bummed out. But it's because, like, we've heard it before, and it's it's evolution and progress. And, like, if I can make my guitar sound like a horn line or like a sitar or something, like, I'm going to try and do that. Um, just because I think, A, like, the, the, the genre lines are blurred enough that you can get away with a little bit of experimentation. And, B, like, I, we've just, we've heard, we've heard all those power chords in every varying level of distortion before. You talked about uh, people uh, uh, shazamming you guys and, and Googling and not really uh, you know, knowing so much about the band, but they know about the song. For people who don't know specifically your story, uh, Eric, uh, uh, you had an accident 10 years ago. It left you paraplegic, and you do a lot of outreach about that, I would think, uh, with the song becoming such a big hit now and you guys doing so many uh, interviews and being out there more. You, you have a bigger voice now, so you're, you're taking advantage of that. You've done a lot of PSAs. It's, it's kind of a nice uh, side story that you're able to, to use that bigger platform now for, for that cause. I think that's a super cool thing. I think, uh, you know, it took me a while to sort of get comfortable with my own, uh, with my own visibility. Um, not necessarily in terms of, you know, touring and all that kind of stuff. Just like, you know, coming coming to to grips with a you know a new reality and you know, when i when i first got injured this was like 10 years ago i, I used to crop the chair out of all my photos and things and kind of had a hard time wrapping my head around it and it wasn't until you know i started touring with uh with whoever would have me or playing shows with the local bands around seattle that i started to you know have conversations with other people that either had a brother or a sister or a parent or even they themselves had had you know a very a very you know visible physical disability and that they thought it was a cool thing that i was up there and i didn't even think about that you know i was trying to keep touring for a purely selfish kind of motive um, you know 
I'm I'm too old to learn a new vocation at this point, but I'm pretty good at guitar and singing some backups. So I was just going to try and keep doing that as long as I could. But now it's sort of become like, yeah, the, the, the visibility is bigger. Our sphere of influence is a lot bigger. And I do have people reaching out to me. And I do have people, you know, in chairs or in mobility aids at shows coming up to me and thanking me. And that's, that's probably the coolest thing about my job right now. Um, so with all the, with all the PSAs and stuff, like I just, I just did a whole, uh, series with March of Dimes Canada that no one here is going to see. And you know, it's not for press. It's not for promo. It's just, it's just using your voice and taking time. It's because I think it's a cool thing. Um, you know, it's not going to benefit the spread of the band at all or you know, offer us any publicity except for the fact that I'm talking about it with you right now. Um, but it's, it's just, it's, it's a it's a good thing to do. It's a cool thing to do. I just got mentioned in in a Twitter story. Uh, someone saying like this is the first time I've ever seen myself in the media in regards to just having a chair and a picture on Billboard. And I think that's I think that's huge. I think that's really cool, especially among people my age or younger. Is uh, you know just figuring out independence and to see that you know I live this sort of ridiculous life of traveling around in a bus from city to city and you know like living sort of a vagabond life that's you know that's not i thought i'd be able to pull off um you know coming coming out of the hospital or coming fresh from an accident and i think the culture erica used to be you know like it, it was it was the opposite of independence and visibility it's like you know either go into some long-term care or like you know your family will take care of you or meet someone that can take care of you. You, know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. We'll just, we'll, we'll make sure you're fine. I, I think like getting out and traveling and doing what you love and, and all that stuff is, you know, the, the most kind of punk rock thing that you can do if you're, if you're hampered by some sort of, you know, quote unquote, unquote disability, just like find a way around it. I watched one of the PSAs, Eric, where I, I thought it kind of had that that uh, kind of a punk edge where at the end, the, the closing message was was get back to work. And you're talking to people with disabilities. I didn't I didn't know if they were going to like that or not. I kind of I kind of riffed on that one. That was an ad lib. I said it and then I turned stop. I, I pressed the stop button on the recorder and I kind of chuckled to myself. I'm like, can I get away with that? Is that cool? And I figured like, yeah, that's that's totally cool. I mean, that is that is what it is. Like I, every, every time that I go to the next show, it's getting back to work. You know, every day a tour is getting back to work. Um, it's just, you know, find a way and, uh, like, yeah, do whatever it takes to do it. I was reading, uh, Eric, just, uh, that, that when your accident happened, you were in a different band. You said, uh, four months later, uh, you're going to be playing a gig. You didn't want to miss it. It feels like that just takes uh, some kind of special resolve that's uh, within you. And I'm not sure everyone would have that. It just seems uh, pretty admirable that, that, that you have that drive. I think it's just stubbornness. <laughs> I don't know if it's a drive. Um, again, like, you know, I'd, I'd do whatever it takes to, to, to do this job. I've, you know, in the past, uh, while I was in that band and, uh, you know, we were signed to a major and we were touring, but at the same time, when I was home, I was working in call centers and doing construction and like basically just killing myself with work to you know be able to go out and tour as much as I could. And it's kind of the same thing now. Like you put in the work to figure out, you know, how, how your body's going to respond to a 
45 or a 50 day tour and what you need to do and what you need to bring and what it's going to take to make that happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, within, within about a year and a half of that previous band sort of, you know, um, uh, calling it quits and me trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, I was just joining up with any band that would have me, any band that was, you know, doing sort of weekend warrior touring or, you know, little four or five day stints here and there just because I missed it so much. Um, and a lot of that was driving in my own car behind a bus or behind a van or, you know, like taking public transportation to gigs or doing whatever I had to do. Um, and it just, you know, you do what you can to stay out there. And uh, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm still doing. Well, I think going forward, probably for years, you're going to be in uh, in Uber and cab rides. And no matter how many times uh, the driver changes the channel, you're going to be hearing, uh, you're going to be hearing, feel it still. Man, there was one we were staying in. We were staying in a hotel in Koreatown, which is like East East Hollywood. Um, and we had to make it to LAX, probably about a eleven, maybe like a ten mile drive, um, thirty forty minutes tops. We heard it three times on three different stations on that drive it's just in the morning and the first the first time you hear it, you're like yay turn it up second time you hear it you're like that is hilarious by the third time you're just like this is ridiculous we're just we're just punishing the airwaves right now like i i sometimes i worry that we're uh we're sort of Santana with Rob Thomas smoothing the country right now. Like there was that moment, I think it was 1999 where it just, you couldn't escape that song. It was right. on every commercial and every, every game of every sport. If people uh, dig in more into your catalog, which I'm sure people are, are doing now, they're, they're probably uh, liking the song and, and, and finding out other tracks. So, uh, you know, an, another nice uh, benefit is that you wind up, uh, all these other songs sort of become hits uh, more in, in their own uh, in their own right because people are, are finding out more about you guys so it's it's one hit on its own but it, it kind of brings out everything you've ever done before and that's uh it's a, a nice thing about having such a huge pop hit it, it just raises the whole profile so uh it's, it's good for everything you guys have ever done it sort of takes years of of, of music makes it all uh, all a hit all at once I, th I think it's rad, you know, and we, we have people coming out of the woodworks, you know, saying like we sold out for pop or like, you know, why would this rock band make a pop song? Um, for, for people that don't know, you know, about seven or eight years ago, this band put out a record and on the surface, I understand it looks pretty rocky. It looks uh, pretty scary. It's called the Satanic Satanist, but every single song on there is three and a half minutes or under and it's some of the the biggest pop hooks i've ever heard and um i mean there's a song called when the war ends that just has this enormous chorus and you know i think we're all like growing up growing up in alaska like punk and metal were obviously the kings and that's what you listen to with your friends when you were hanging out and skateboarding or you know setting things on fire um but we all had oasis you know hiding somewhere in our trucks and we all like I love the Pixies, and you know, my parents' record collection was dominated by like James Taylor and Joan Baez, and uh, you know Crosby, Stills and Nash, and we're all we're all pop kids at heart. We all we all love a melody, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of back catalog in there, and I hope that I hope that people are digging deep into this band. So I'm, I'm I'm proud of what they did before I showed up, and I'm even more proud of what they've been able to do since I've been around. Obviously. 
Oh, well, Eric, congratulations on all the success. It's such a great story all around. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us all the inside story yeah. about it. We're into it. I mean, man, we, we definitely get a, get a laugh out of some of this stuff, just seeing our names up amongst these beautiful young people. <laughs> like, this is, this is so ridiculous. Uh, but we're going to, yeah, we'll, we'll stick around as long as we'll have a and call me boy. It's like, man, you guys could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. <laughs> That's kind of how we feel about selling, you know, 36-year-old out-of-shape Alaskans to the pop charts. Still <laughs> glow, So we didn't get any cake from Portugal the Man. We, we made that very clear that we didn't get any cake, but uh, cake celebration at all. It all fits for, for the hit that they're, they're having. Also great to hear from Eric, um, you know, about how, how he's lending his voice in such a bigger way now and because he has a bigger platform um, to all, all those kind of causes, especially the ones that obviously must be near and dear to him given his own uh, personal circumstance. So, you know, I think it's always great when, you know, no matter how big you are on top of the world or how much, you know, how much fun the ride is that people remember to, to, to lend back and, and get back to some people who uh, may not be quite as fortunate. And, and personally, musically, my favorite thing is he mentioned the Gin Blossoms, one of my favorite bands. So he has good taste. Gary loves, and Gary loves his gin. Also good taste. What are we flashing back to? <laughs> All right, we are going to flash back to uh, not not a year, but an era, a whole era, Gary. Uh, that's gonna, you know, it's a small but mighty day in the in, in the canon of music history. That is disco, and we are going to talk about its one and only queen, the legendary Donna Summer. Donna Summer, uh, as everybody knows, really got her start in 1975 in terms of the American pop music scene. Love to love you, baby, smash hit. We're going to fast forward a little bit and start our journey, uh, though, in 1977. This week uh, in 1977, Donna Summer peaking at number six on the Hot 100 with the song I Feel Love, which, of course, if you're talking about Donna Summer, odds are you're talking about Giorgio Moroder as well, who was one of the producers on this song. And, um, Gary, you were saying right before we, we, we started on this, you say it's such a, I mean, like in a, not a, just just you were very passionate in your yeah, uh, examination that it's a weird song. It's very hypnotic. It's sort of dreamy, or you know, something like uh, like Last Dance or Bad Girls. They just they kind of hit you over the head with, with these hooks. I feel love. It's, it's drawn out. It, it, it's just it, it kind of it just it's a very unique sounding song. Oh yeah, it definitely has. It's one of those songs you can you sort of get lost in. I guess like like almost like like for me, you listen to the song in like a club and it's like kind of like kind of hazy. And I mean, it goes, you know, it can go on as most of these songs in this era can. You know, there are versions that go on for 10, 12, 14 minutes. This song, uh, no exception, but hugely influential, even though Donna had been out before. And Love, Love You, Baby was a little more, I mean, it was in that same vein, but maybe a little more centered in, 
um, with a pop hook and some obviously the, the moans kind of kind of anchoring it as well. This song definitely more experimental, and uh, for that reason, really influential. This is one of the songs that maybe is not one of Donna Summer's best well-known biggest hits that people sing along to in that same way but in terms of its development and disco and dance people really pointed this song probably is the most influential in her whole catalog yeah i think uh, disco kind of had a formula they were they were pop songs kind of dressed up with disco beats so this one uh i think experimental is a good is a good uh, way to describe it it almost feels like a song that you really need to be like on drugs to fully appreciate it, it sounds like the 70s you uh, <laughs> truly yeah 100 percent um so uh, that that's actually one oddly enough one of four Donna Summer songs that peaked on the Hot 100 uh, this week. So this this middle week in November was apparently that was a hot time for Donna Summer. You know you talk about I Feel Love a year later she's um, hitting new highs with another song her first number one on the Hot 100 that is a cover of Richard Harris's MacArthur Park. Fun fact about Richard Harris, I don't think most people know this. Richard Harris is actually also the guy who plays Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter movies. Right. So if you didn't if you didn't know Dumbledore had a secret past, he was a he was a singer. Did you like the original Dumbledore or the second Dumbledore? It's oh, uh looking so off topic here. Well you mentioned Richard Harris. But you're right. This has to become the topic. I know. <laughs> um it's one of those things where the first one, Richard Harris, before Michael Gambon took over, Richard Harris felt more like the dad, right. war, you know, warm Dumbledore. I do wonder though, like how when Dumbledore has to get a little more active in the in the in the later books, you know, running around and casting. You know, I it's hard to see Richard Harris doing that as much as Michael Gambon kind of does. Yeah, like I, I Richard Harris is more like guy on throne kind right. of Dumbledore rather than like badass wizard in the field. Right, uh, which was a, the the actor's choice to make a little more of a, of a hippie kind of a, a character. But yeah, I feel I feel like somehow. I'm drawn more to the original Dumbledore. It just sort of was a more uh, warm and fuzzy kind of portrayal. But I think uh, because uh, the series got so dark by the end that it's kind of tough to imagine how that might have worked that way. So maybe maybe it, it uh, sad that we lost Richard Harris by the by the change happened. But it uh, yeah, it would be interesting to, to see how that might have translated to, to darker material later on. Also, uh, one last note on Harry Potter while we're while we're over here. Uh, apparently, Ian McKellen was in talks to to take over the role of Dumbledore. But apparently he, Ian McKellen, was somewhat aware that Richard Harris was not fond of him when he was alive. And so he didn't want to take over that role and sort of do a disservice to his memory or, or, you know, kind of kind of bring that up. So could have been so it could have been Gandalf, Magneto and Dumbledore. But, hey, he was the bigger man and chose not to be. All right, let's get totally right. let's get <laughs> let's get totally off topic and go back to Donna Summer. All right, yeah, uh, and uh, what were we talking? Oh yeah, Donna Summer. Donna Summer. Yes, yeah, so she's number one for the first time this week in 1978 with uh, her cover of MacArthur Park. Um, you want to talk about a weird song? This is one of those songs where, you know, for for decades, fans and critics and people have tried to kind of dissect what is this song about. There's there's you know baking a cake and you let it out in the rain and it melted and 
MacArthur's Park is melting in the dark and what, you know, what in the world is this song? I really don't have any clue what this is about. Do you have any sense of what what a number one hit MacArthur Park could be talking about? There's a cover, sort of a cover that I like of this song. Weird Al Yankovic did his version of it. 1993, I should tell you maybe why he, he did it then. It's called Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. All the dinosaurs are running wild. Someone shut the fence off in the rain. I admit it's kinda eerie, but this proves my chaos theory. And I don't think I'll be coming back again. Oh no! Jurassic Park. I like it. The Mick Arthur Park. Totally. Jurassic works. Park. Right? Jurassic. I know what that Mac one's Arthur. about. I don't know what Mick yeah. Arthur Park's about. I know what Jurassic Park's about. Uh, <laughs> how to get back to Donna Summer at this point. We just dive right into it, I guess. Um, so, yes, a year. The, the year that MacArthur Park really starts for her is probably the biggest year of her whole career. Soon after that, she'll have the, the Bad Girls album, which comes out, which. If you know any songs by Donna, by Donna Summer, you probably know the two number one hits off that album, which are Hot Stuff and Bad Girls. So both of those number one hits as well. After those two songs come out, there's another hit right there. Number two hit this week in 1979, Dim All the Lights, which Donna actually wrote herself. Um, she had been involved in a lot, of, a lot of songwriting, but this was the first time she, I believe, wrote one of her hits all by herself. Um, same kind of disco feel that it really, it's one of those songs that starts off right. kind of like Last Dance, you know, in, in the ballady kind of slow dance way. And then about a minute in, she holds, holds a very long note. And that kicks off the transition into this big four on the floor, you know, sweeping disco song, like always. That's what Eric uh, was saying for Portugal and the Man, how Feel It Still, it just, it just, it has its sound start to finish. He, he mentioned uh, Hello by Adele, how it, it starts slow and builds. So same kind of thing. Uh, classic sure. pop songs kind of have that drama that builds. So another reason they're kind of chuckling uh, that they have a hit. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. And soon after, Dim All the Lights, uh, she has a num- another number one hit. So really four number one hits in just over the span of a year. MacArthur Park, Hot Stuff, Bad Girls, and a duet with Barbara Streisand, of all people. Uh, Donna and Barbara, not really a combo I put together in my mind, but No More Tears, Enough is Enough. Uh, also number one hit four. And then we're going to flash forward one last time, um, a little bit into 1980. This week in 1980, Donna Summer peaking at number three on the Hot 100 with The Wanderer. So we got a, we got a number one, a number two, a number three, all this week in Donna Summer's career in uh, just a short span of time between... 1977, we'll go back to I Feel Love, which is a number six hit, and 1980. So, um, I mean, just the fact that she could have four top ten hits in the same week, and that has even mentioned some of her other number ones and other big songs, which just goes to show, in particular, how big Donna Summer was in her moment when she was just huge, just unstoppable. I mean, if nothing else, I think the four number ones in the span of a year, I mean, that's like, to this day and age, that's Bieber level. Right. 
Yeah, you know, she was uh, sort of in some ways wound up uh, being a little uh, typecast to disco. Yeah. To the 70s. So uh, she works hard for the money. Huge hit in 1983. But uh, she didn't have another uh, big hit, another top 10 on the Hot 100 till 1989. This time I know it's for real. 1989 is when I had just started uh, listening to radio in, uh, in Boston. Is where I was and where she was from. Huge hit on Kiss 108, the top 40 uh, station there. And they'd been uh, kind of the, the first uh, big national disco station in the 70s. So to have her back, to have uh, Hometown Girl uh, back with, with a huge hit, uh, it was a big deal. So it was kind of nice to see her uh, come back. It was uh, a stock Aiken Waterman song. They'd done uh, some of the Kylie Minogue stuff, some of the uh, Rick Astley hits. So they were they were kind of riding a wave with some new artists. They lended uh, their talents to, to a veteran at that point, Donna Summer. Uh, gave her a top 10 hit in uh, 1989. This time I know it's for real. And uh, one last note on Donna Summer as we sort of explore her tour of hits. And I guess speaking of tour and her hits, there's a Donna Summer musical that started a couple nights ago in La Jolla in California uh, called Summer. What else? And so it's one of those jukebox musicals that uh, its its premise seems to be through her final concert. It kind of reflects on her life growing up in Boston. She traveled... um, some people may know that she moved to Germany to be in a production of Hair, and that's where she met Georgia Maroder and, and really got her start. And so it chronicles all of that, and some of she became a born-again Christian in the late 70s as well. And so it just traces through her life and includes um, uh, almost a couple dozen of her songs in, interspersed at some point. So uh, definitely cool to see the Donna Summers getting getting a nice a tribute in this musical. I mean, we lost her almost five years ago, so uh, to see that this current generation is paying a tribute in that way is also really cool. Uh, the musical stars uh, LaShans, who won the Tony Award uh, back in 2006 for her role in The Color Purple, so um, some Broadway star power there as well, and you know we'll see where the musical ends up. Hopefully it can make it to Broadway or something and keep Donna Summer's legacy going. It wasn't just one song. She had a whole bunch of songs if it can be a whole musical like that. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things that I saw... I saw the bodyguard when they kind of redid that for Whitney Houston back in 2012 and, and even through Jersey boys and, you know, jukebox musicals have always for the past couple of decades have been huge hit makers. We on your feet, Gloria Estefan. So it's just cool to see also that, you know, it's one place that, that a lot of these pioneers can get their music out to different generations, different fans across the world who come in and watch the tours. And you know, it's a great thing to see. All right. So for someone who uh, seemed to uh, oddly enough have success uh, mid November, for a whole bunch of years in a row, Taylor Swift has kind of been doing the same thing. This is <laughs> this is also a Taylor Swift season. So the new album, this is posting on Thursday. It's out tomorrow. Tomorrow, tonight at midnight. That's right. So uh, we're going to devote uh, so much of the podcast next week to Reputation, the new album from Taylor Swift. Let's each, here's our homework for next week's podcast. Let's listen to the new album and each come in with a list of what we think should be the singles after. So look what you made me do. Ready for its second single. Maybe Gorgeous should be uh, the third single. We only, we've only we only heard uh, four songs so far from it. Let's each listen to the whole thing and, and come in and have our predictions for what should and what might and what could be uh, the singles and hits from this album. Okay. Okay, I like it. I like it. And, uh, of course, to get the listeners in the mood, uh, I mean, and your reputation is particularly supposed to be one of one of her darker, you know, more moody kind of songs and maybe, maybe a revenge tour against the media and some other figures, uh, some celebrities who may have wronged her in the past. And no better way to get that going for the listeners than to look back on one of her most vindictive records to date. To wrap it up, here's Taylor Swift and the 2010 cut, Dear John. Dear John, I see it all. 
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.